I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that I guarantee you will apply to you. If you are human and breathing, it will apply to you, and uh, that's the subject of worry. You might want to title this one, Brother Tim, The Weight of Worry, unless you can come up with a better one. The Weight of Worry. Let me give you the definition of worry before I start here. The definition of worry is to give way to anxiety or unease, to dwell on difficulty or troubles, a mental distress about something anticipated or impending. So if somebody tells you that they never worry, they are a liar. Uh, because that is something that plagues everybody. Uh, even, even at a young age, you know, I, th- I, I thought about these definitions. Uh, uh, at a young age, a person can dwell on their difficulty and troubles. Uh, at a very young age, you can have some mental anguish or mental distress about something uh, that is anticipated or impending. I mean, something as simple as, uh, you know, I always remember uh, the first day of school, you know, when you, you've been out all summer and, and school's about to start back and you're, you, you're, you're dwelling on who's my teacher going to be, uh, who am I going to have to sit by, you know, we're going to have assigned seats, uh, who's my bus driver going to be, and just all these thoughts, it's just like a hamster wheel of thoughts that just sometimes you seem like you can't let go of. And that constitutes worry. And I thought about that this past week, and I started back at the very beginning of the Bible, and I wasn't reading, I was just flipping pages, and as I was flipping through the pages, I was just uh, looking at whatever particular character in the Bible was, was popping out at me, and I thought about their life for a little bit, and never did come across somebody that at some point was not afflicted with worry. Uh, afflicted with something that they were dwelling on, troubles or difficulty, and that can be a tremendous weight for us, is to have that kind of mentality. And I started back and I thought, uh, you know, <clears throat> when, when Adam sinned in the garden, you know, we don't have an exact time frame, but it probably took, I would say, maybe 20, 30 years before the first murder occurred, which is when Cain slew Abel. So you see that sin come into this world but you know obviously Cain and Abel had to grow up and had to be strong enough to work and to do the things that they were doing tending the sheep and and working the ground uh, before that murder happened but worry comes onto the scene way quicker than that Uh, if you think about in the garden of Eden when Adam sinned in the garden and what does he what does he do he immediately uh, he sees that he's naked right and he starts to, to fret over that so much so that he goes and he, he tries to construct some clothes out of fig leaves, and then he hides from God. Why is he hiding from God? He hides from God for the same reason that we try to, uh, you know, steer clear of getting caught on something. We worry about it, don't you? You know, you, you, you've done something wrong, and, and as a child, uh, you know, if you, um, uh, I could remember, sorry, Josh, I, I'm getting you again today. <clears throat> we were growing up, Josh had a, uh, or he and I both had uh, posters in our rooms of athletes, um, you know, base, Bo Jackson, Daryl Strawberry, Don Mattingly, some of those guys, and we would get these posters and put them up. And one day Josh and I were wrestling around, and I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I threw him into the wall. I don't think he threw me. I think I threw him into the wall. And we broke the sheetrock, busted a big hole in it. You know, mom and dad weren't even there at the time. And so we hide in the garden. Because we're worried about it. And so we take, 
we had this genius idea to take this Daryl Strawberry poster and cover the hole. And so you walk in Josh's room and you got poster, 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 poster. I mean, I mean, Dad knew immediately, you know, like something's not right. Well, why did we do that? Why did we try to hide that? Because we were worried and anticipating just an impending doom of what was going to happen because we broke the sheetrock. And so Adam hides in the garden. Why? Because when he sinned in the garden, his mind developed an emotion that can cause great distress to us as we anticipate things and as we are anxious about things. And as I flipped a little, you know, we already talked about Cain and Abel. Of course, we don't have all the details, but Cain worried. Now, we know Cain was of the wicked one. Listen, worry is not, uh, you know, it, it reaches the godly and the ungodly. Cain worried about what he had done to Abel because why? He tried to bury him and hide him. I'm sure that Abel was a worrier because Cain probably was crazy. Don't you know that growing up with a man that had Cain's personality and the things that he would do, don't you know that Abel thought, man, this guy is just crazy. Now, I went a little further, and you get into Noah, Abraham. You know, Abraham, the Lord comes to Abram and says, you know, get up and leave your home country. Well, what would you do if that were you? You would begin to fret about that with some anxiety, and you would think about those things. I went on, looked at Lot. When Lot was in his home, in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there he is hosting the two angels, and the wicked men of that city are pounding on his door, telling him to send the two angels out into the street. Well, do you think Lot was just sitting there with a great peace of mind? No, he fretted about it. He was anxious about it. He worried about it. Hagar was the, was the woman that was cast out with her son Ishmael. Rebecca, uh, a man comes along and says, hey, I'm looking for a bride for my wife. Why don't you come with me? And she goes into a foreign land. Now listen, Rebecca is human. So don't you know that as she is riding along, never met Isaac, as she's riding along, don't you know she was a little bit anxious? Like, what does he even look like? I mean, because that's kind of a big deal sometimes. She goes here to a land, leaves her family, doesn't even know what her husband is going to look like. And I imagine Isaac <clears throat> was a little bit nervous and worried. He doesn't know what this servant's going to bring back. Jacob and Esau. Do you think those two guys worried? We know that Jacob spent a great deal of his life worrying about the retaliation he might receive from Esau. <clears throat> Samson. What about when Samson, strongest man ever, uh, he is, you know, slaughters the Philistines. They cannot touch him. They cannot bind him. And finally one day, they bind him and they, they take his eyes and they put him in the prison house and he's grinding. Do you think that he had some mental distress about that? Absolutely. Of course he did. King Saul. King Saul, he, he was what we call a worry, a, a worry wart. He worried all the time. He was so worried that the Philistines were going to overtake him and, and uh, take his kingdom that he just blatantly disobeyed God on multiple occasions. Because he was so fearful of those things. And then by the time I got to Job, I just kind of stopped. Because I was like, okay, I'm not going to find anybody. I'm not going to find anybody in the Bible that never had circumstances in their life to worry about. And when I got to Job, he was probably the, the greatest example, uh, you know, of uh, losing uh, most everything he owned. Losing uh, the vast majority of his family. Uh, being stricken down with, uh, you know, uh, a, a great disease, uh, so much so that 
uh, he just sat down on the ground and began to take a broken pot and just scrape the sores of his body. Now, there's something to worry about. That's a situation none of us ever hope we find ourselves in, but worry, godly or ungodly, afflicts us all daily. And really, if you think about it, we probably spend more time worrying than any other emotion that we feel. We're just in a constant state, and we don't even recognize it as worry sometimes. Now, sometimes the worry that we experience comes on because of decisions that we've made. We bring it on ourselves. Do we not? We, we, you know, you go out and you, you take on this or you take on that or you do this, you do that. And you're, you're just heaping worry to yourself. We're very good at doing that. This little thing right here will worry you to death. It will, you know, and if you didn't have it, you know, uh, again, we get it. We think it's going to make life a whole lot easier and, and it does in ways. But, you know, if, if nothing else, but if you misplaced this and you couldn't find it for a day, that's all you could think about. So where's my phone? Where's my phone? I don't know where my phone is. I'm going to have to get a new phone. Where's my phone? We bring that on ourselves. But now there are other types of things that we might worry about that are just time and chance. And the Bible speaks about that. Uh, You may be driving along, praying to the Lord, singing songs to Him, driving the speed limit, going to visit the helpless and the homeless. And somebody run a a red light and T-bone you and put you in the hospital. And now you got stuff to worry about. You weren't doing anything wrong in that situation. You're just a victim of time and chance. And that's what a corrupt, fallen world will do to you. But we all have reasons to worry. And I want to look at what the Bible says about dealing with that worry. And maybe maybe this is an approach you've you've, uh, seen many times. Maybe it's not. But I want to start in Job, the 42nd chapter. Here are some things that have helped me. <clears throat> when I worry, I had, I think the reason this is on my mind, and I almost didn't preach on it because, um, you know, I don't need to stand up here and preach about being faithful to your wife if I'm not being faithful to my wife. I've got to take that beam out of my eye to be able to preach those things to you. And worry, I thought, Lord, I, th- this past week or two, I have just had, it seems, an excess of worries an excess of mental distress, an excess of dwelling on difficult things and troubling things. And I thought, Lord, I'm not fit and suitable to preach on worry. But then again, who is, right? Because we all suffer from it. But here are some things biblically that have helped me in my times of worry. And I want to, go, I want to start in the 42nd chapter of Job. And this is, this is kind of the, this is the last verse of the chap, last chapter of the book of Job. When God has beautifully put, put Job in his place, reminded Job how small he is and how large God is. This is after um, the, Job has spent time with his three friends and Elihu. And then let's go to verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. And then it says... 
So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. There's a couple really interesting things in there to me. The first thing that I looked at in there, here you've got these three men that according to the word of God, they did not do right by God or by Job. They had the wrong mentality, the wrong line of thinking, the wrong advice, where Job did not. And so the Lord tells Job, or tells Eliphaz, he says, you need to take some sacrifices and you need to bring them to my servant Job. And you need to offer those sacrifices. And then he says, and then my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken to me the thing which is right like my servant Job. Now, here's a good lesson and probably another sermon for another day. It's important to have people praying for you. But it's more important to have the right people praying for you. Do you hear me on that? Now, that, that may initially sound kind of mean. But in a, this situation, you know, you, could, you, could, you know, you can go out and you can put something on Facebook. Hey, I stumped my toe and it's hurting. And you'll get 957,000 people tell you they're going to pray for you. And they'll put little praying hands and they'll blah, 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 right? Well, that's a good sentiment. But I want people praying for me that the Lord is pleased with. That's who I want praying with me. The Bible says this, that he that turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now you get that? You don't sit there and say, dear Lord, and spew off everything, whatever that's on your heart. And the Lord just 100% always accept that as sweet incense coming up before him. The Bible's clear. If we are not living godly, righteous lives, and I'm not talking about sinning because we all sin, but you understand what I mean when you have turned your ear away from the word of God and you are doing things that you know are wrong and you're doing them anyway. Don't expect your prayer to be heard. You see, the Lord said here to these three friends of Job, they can pray all they want to about their situation, about your situation, Job. They can get down and beg that the Lord will relieve you of all the afflictions that you have at this moment. And the Lord says, I will not accept it because you've done me wrong. And before you look at God and say, well... It's not who I thought God was. We're the same way. Look, if if you own a business and you have an employee that is never on time, that does not do their job, that constantly causes trouble in the office, that rarely or, or, or shows up for work sometimes and sometimes doesn't show up for work, and really never does the job you're hiring them to do, and then they come in your office one day and say, hey, I'd like a raise. What do you say? No way. There's no way I'm giving you a raise. It's the same thing. We reject God. We rebel against God. We turn against God and say, oh, Lord, bless me. That goes up as an abomination. But what we hope for is that somewhere there's somebody that's walking in the light 
that cares enough about us to mention our name to the Lord in prayer. And brothers, those prayers are accepted. Amen. And the Bible tells us that I think Brother Tim even wrote a song about it. <clears throat> and I think it's Revelation 8, that there's silence in heaven as those prayers go up as sweet incense before the Lord. Maybe, maybe a, a, a better topic today would have been, are you the type of person that the Lord will hear your prayers? But that's what the Lord says. He says, don't pray for yourselves. Get Job to pray for you. He said, because he's done right by me and I'll accept him. But I like the second part of this even better. <clears throat> and it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, I think you can make several applications like that. The word captivity is similar to the word captivate. To captivate means to hold our attention and our mind. It means for us to dwell on things. What do you think Job was dwelling on? Job was dwelling on those sores. Job was dwelling on the loss of his family, the loss of his possessions, and I don't blame him. I would too. If you heard, man, did you hear about Luke? Monday, his house burned down. Tuesday, he lost all of his children. Wednesday, his wife is, is mad at him because she wants him to cuss God and die. You can't blame the guy for dwelling on it. But his mind is captivated by his situation. He is in captivity. And listen, if any of you are like me and you are at times a worrier, you know what it's like to be imprisoned by the thoughts that you cannot quit dwelling on. The what ifs, the fear, the anticipation, the impending things that are coming to us. And again, maybe we bring them on ourselves. Maybe it's just time and chance. But the Bible says... And I believe that this was also a physical healing. Don't, don't misunderstand me. That the Lord began to heal Job. Amen. But not just his body. His mind. That I believe when Job prayed for his friends. That his mind began to be set free. From the captivity of the worry he was feeling. Have you ever. You felt that I know. Have you ever felt when you're just so worried about something. And then uh, maybe you know something as simple as maybe you're worried about a grade on a test. And you're just, you know, you're just, oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. And then the test is laid in front of you and you got the grade you wanted. The relief that you feel where that where your uh, your captivity is set free. You're no longer imprisoned by worrying and dwelling on those things. That's a great feeling. And I believe that's what Job felt. When did he feel it? When he prayed for his friends. One of the things that I try to do when my mind is overcome with worry is pray for somebody else. Because it shifts my mind off my troubles and it directs them to somebody else. And usually in those cases, I realize my troubles are not near as bad as they could be. So we can take a lesson from Job there and pray for others, but be the type of person that the Lord will hear those prayers. Let me give you a couple, one more thing here. I'm going to skip some of this. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 5, <clears throat> tells us another thing that I have found to be profitable for me in times of worry. <clears throat> and it tells us this. Casting down imaginations, 
And that's what worry is. That's where worry stems from. Your imagination runs wild. Look, imagination is good when you're a kid and you, you know, you're, you, uh, I mean, when Josh and I were, were kids, um, the, the most fun that we ever had was going out and making up something to play in the woods. Even if it was this pine cone is a grenade and we're playing war. You know, that's a good imagination. But your imagination can be the end of you when it comes to worry. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, how's this going to go, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Bible says those imaginations were to cast down. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Your thoughts run wild. The hamster wheel's going. You're dwelling on these things. You cannot let them go. Your imagination is going crazy about what could happen or what could be. The Bible says take those and cast them down. Because they're exalting themselves higher in your mind than the things and the knowledge of God. But this is what I would say about it. When you cast those things out, you better replace them with something else. Or they'll be right back. Sometimes when I've got a troubled mind and I'm burdened about something in my mind and I just cannot turn it loose. You've all been there. Cannot turn it loose. Sometimes I will make myself because our tendency is to want to dwell on it more and more and more. Thinking somewhere in this, you know, uh, you know, roller coaster of dwelling on it, we'll find a solution. Well, that's just a trap. Sometimes I will get up even when I do not feel like it and I will get up and I will start wrestling with the boys or riding horses with the girls or and before long, I'm not thinking about it anymore. Because I cast it out, but then I had to replace it with something. If you're going to sit on the couch and pray, Lord, I'm casting this out, get up and go sit in the recliner and don't change anything, it's going to get up and go right back in. You got to cast it out, but you got to replace it. Now, let me give you this last thing here. I got a couple minutes. This past week was one of those weeks that I had a lot on my mind. I was worrying a lot. This past week, Tiffany had a lot on her mind and she was worrying a lot about two totally separate things. And it was just a heavy, burdensome weight to both of us. And it's not something we were talking about a whole lot during the week. It just it just turned from little things and it grew and it grew. And we were just both burdened about different things. And there came a moment that uh, uh, we were talking to each other and it was just just she and I. And we just kind of looked at each other. We finally had a few moments of quiet. And you could just almost see both of us just kind of just our minds. You know, I could see it in her face. She could see it in my face. And she said something extremely profound to me. She said, the things that you are worried about, talking to me, she said, I've got full confidence about those things and I'm not worried in the least And she said, the things that I'm worried about, she said, you're not worried about in the least. Are you get that? You see, I had somebody I could go to and talk to about the things that I was dwelling on that didn't bother her at all. And she could come and talk to me about the things that were worrying her and they don't bother me at all. And so we lifted each other up and strengthened one another and encouraged one another. 
And that thought got me to thinking, how beneficial it is, is it to us to have somebody that we can go talk to in our moments of worry that aren't carrying that same weight, that have a peace, that have an understanding, that have a confidence about the situation. And who better to do that than the Lord? And that's what the Bible tells us. I'll, I'll leave you with uh, Philippians, the fourth chapter, in verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. That means don't be full of care. You could say it this way. Don't worry for anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You know what that's saying? Come and talk to me about it. When I am worried and burdened, I can go to Tiffany because rarely does she worry about what I worry about. And rarely do I worry about the things that she worries about. But it is so comforting if I'm at work and something's on my mind, it's, I know it is going to help me to go talk to her and to hear her uh, rationalize this with me, to simplify this for me, to lay it out in such a way that brings peace to me. I love being able to do that. And I love being able to do that for her. That's what the Lord is saying. Come talk to me. Present your requests to me. Tell me, what is your greatest request is to be free of that worry. And it says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and what? Your minds through Christ Jesus. I worry. You worry. We dwell on things. We can't let them go. It affects us. It's a weight that we were never intended to have to carry till Adam sinned in the garden. Try praying for somebody else when you're worried. Try casting down those imaginations and replacing it with something else. And present your request to God. Amen. Look, when you go to the Lord in prayer, this is, you know, this is something that, that we're all guilty of, I guess. When you go to the Lord in prayer, you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to have it laid out in a prayer that would make everybody in this congregation say, oh, he's a good prayer. Just talk to the Lord. Beg him. Say, Lord, I'm worried. And I'm ashamed of it and I need help. Amen. That's a request. And he'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. Amen. I hope that's been profitable to you. Pray for Brother Tim.